Amen. All right, I want to welcome everybody to the master's class here at Life Change Church. Life Change Church. And we're in the book of Genesis. Imagine that. We've been in Genesis now for 36 lessons, and we've got about halfway through. So it, we're, we're going to have a few more lessons uh, to get going. And we'll be in Genesis chapter 17, verse 16, through chapter 18, verse 21. And I wouldn't bet that I'm not going to come back to chapter 17 again before I get finished. I told you all this was one of the most important chapters in the Bible. And we've been camped here in this, this chapter for quite a while. And that's because it is. There's lots and lots of things. And today we're going to talk about how to pray as an intercessor. To pray as an intercessor. Now, last week's lesson was really, really good. And I know Faye didn't get to hear it. But, you know, this week is also going to be a good lesson as well. A two-part lesson here on how to pray as an intercessor. Now, how many of you have ever thought of laughter as a part of faith. Laughter as a part of your faith, right? Now, to be honest, I think it is easy for us to forget that our faith is supposed to bring happiness into our lives, right? Now, God is a truly wonderful and gracious God, and He blesses us with so much that we don't deserve but from the way most of us walk around, you would think that we have the weight of the world on our shoulders, uh, when instead of our, uh, our problems are supposed to be on God's shoulders. They're not supposed to be on our shoulders at all. Uh, one of my life verses, and I've used this before, is Psalms 55:22, And it says, Cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. Not maybe, shall sustain thee. He shall never, not sometimes, never suffer the righteous to be moved. Now, when I really apply this verse to my life, it simply changes my entire outlook on life. For I have to ask myself, what burden do I have that God cannot handle? Is there anything too hard for God? And if God is handling it, then why not be happy about it, right? I, I mean, why not have the joy of the Holy Spirit in my heart and on my face for the world to see? And amen? Amen, right? I mean, some of us, though, we walk around, myself included, I, we got this big frown on our face and we're always looking down, we're not looking out at people, and, and they ought to, there ought to be a joyful expression on your face because you have the Lord Jesus Christ in your heart and you're living for Him. Right? Amen? All right. So now over the last couple of weeks, we've seen how Abraham has been told by God on multiple occasions that he will have a son named Isaac and that he will be the father of many nations. Now today we get a chance to see the joy of having a God that loves us and fulfills all of his promises to us. Now, this is going to be a two-part lesson, as I said earlier. So we'll not finish this all today. There's just way too much here in this material for me to go over. But over the next couple of weeks, we're going to cover multiple topics. And the first, we're going to talk about the laugh of faith. The laugh of faith. And then we're going to move on to the life of faith. 
Now, our scripture is going to give us a great example of what it means to be obedient to the Lord as the spiritual head of our household. I'm going to be speaking to the men in this class today as well, okay? And last, we are going to talk about another great biblical truth, Christ as the living intercessor for our sins. And we're going to be using Abraham as a type or a symbol for this great truth that is in the Bible for us. But first thing I want to talk about here this morning is the laugh of faith. And we're here in Genesis 17, verses 16 and 17. And we've read this multiple times over the last several weeks, but I'm here to tell you, this is deep stuff, man. Uh, you can pick stuff out of here for all kinds of things. And it says in verse 16, And I will bless her and give thee a son also of her. Yea, I will bless her. And she shall be a mother of nations, kings of people shall be of her. Then Abraham fell upon his face, and look what it says, and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born unto him that is a hundred years old, and shall Sarah that is ninety years old bear? Now notice how it says that Abraham reacted to the promise from God that Sarah would bear him a son. It says that then Abraham fell upon his face and laughed. And laugh. Now, we talked a little bit about this at the very end of class last week, and we said that there are various kinds of laughter, and there was a, a difference between Sarah and Abraham, right? And so, the various kinds of laughter, as I looked at that this is last week, there is the genuinely humorous laugh, right? Now, that's the one that can be medicine to the soul. Proverbs says that, right? That it can be medicine to the soul. God has truly blessed us with the ability to find humor in our lives. Now then there is the laugh of disbelief. That's the sneer of someone confronted with an amazing event that cannot be explained by man's limited framework of knowledge. Now this is the laugh of the world when they hear of the blessings and the power of God. And then there is the hideous laugh, all right? Now, this is a sinister laugh of someone finding delight in the misfortunes of others. God calls such a man a fool. I wonder why. Now, then there is the laugh of faith. And in our verse, we see that Abraham just laughed. It was not the uh, laughter of disbelief. It was the laughter of sheer joy that this could happen. Now, have you ever had this experience? You know, every now and then in our life, God does something for us that is just so wonderful that we just feel like laughing about it, right? Now, you don't know anything else to do but just laugh because God is so good to you, right? And, well, Abraham was in complete wonder at the thought of a son. He asked, shall a child be born unto him that was a hundred years old, and shall Sarah that is 90 years old, barren. This was something unheard of. You see, uh, there was a deadness of Sarah's womb. And also, Abraham was dead in his ability to father children. And that made this something impossible to imagine, but joyful to accept. God tells you something that's just impossible, and it's going to happen? That's joyful, right? Now, the tremendous wonder of this is that God created life from death Sarah's womb was a tomb, a place of death, and God made it a place of life. Paul described it this way in Romans 4, 19 through 20. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead, when he was about 100 years old, 
neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. So it did Abraham's soul good, and for 13 years he had not heard from God. It's, it's been 13 years now since the last time he heard from God. Now, he, uh, he was, had to be sitting there wondering about that 13 years that he had lived with the fruits of his own impatience. He had another son named Ishmael, right? And would God forgive and forget? Would God speak again? And when he did, Abraham could not contain the sheer joy of the fact that, hey, I'm hearing from God again. It's been 13 years, but man, I'm hearing from God again. Isn't that wonderful, right? Abraham believed in God, and he absolutely was and he is absolutely overwhelmed by the wonder and the goodness of God. In verse 18, it says, And Abraham said unto God, O that Ishmael might live before thee. Oh, so this was an expression of godly desire on the part of Abraham that Ishmael would be included in the blessings of God. Ishmael grew up in a home with parents that had faith in God, yet he was still a stranger to grace. Now, unfortunately, as we all know and have experienced, being born in a godly home does not guarantee that a child will believe, right? All of Abraham's faith and obedience could not make a believing righteous man out of his son, Ishmael. But there was nothing stopping Abraham from praying for the boy. That was a good thing, right? Verse 19 says, And God said, Sarah, thy wife, shall bear thee a son indeed. And I shall call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant, and with his seed after him. Now, notice God's response. It at first skips right over Abraham's request about uh, Ishmael, right? And he continues talking, God continues talking about Isaac. And he says, and thou shalt call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant, and with his seed after him. So God is giving Abraham a direct message about the covenant promises of a land and a seed. And God is saying, Abraham, listen to me. In this matter of covenant, make no mistake, that line runs through Isaac, not Ishmael. Isaac will be the believing man of the two. So there was to be no doubt whatsoever. Ishmael is not the promised son of God. And Ishmael was not to inherit the land promised to Abraham by God. Ishmael was the result of a lack of faith by Abraham and Sarah. So God's pronouncement to Abraham about Ishmael was based upon his knowledge of Ishmael's heart. God knew that mockery of the divine things dwelt in the heart of Ishmael's soul. Yet God also heard the prayer of Abraham. So now that God has got that settled. He says in verse 20, And as for Ishmael, I have heard thee. Behold, I have blessed him, and will make him fruitful, and will multiply him exceedingly. Twelve princes shall he beget, and I will make him a great nation. Now, certainly God has kept his promise to Abraham. Today, the Arab world has stretches all the way from the Atlantic to the Persian Gulf. And it sits upon some of the most strategically and economically wealthy countries of the world. But as God foresaw, they do not know him. They do not know God. Verses 21 and 22 says, But my covenant will I establish with Isaac, 
which Sarah shall bear unto thee at this set time in the next year. And they left off talking with him, and God went up from Abraham. <laughs> okay. God says his peace, and then he goes up, right? Yeah. In other words, God says, Abraham, I've made my decision, and it is settled. We're all done talking about it. All right? Uh, we're done now. And so next, we go from the laugh of faith to the life of faith. And the life of faith is a life that, in essence, is a life of obedience to the known will of God. Now, I want you to think about this and ponder it throughout the next week as you go through your daily affairs. I want you to ask yourself, are you living a life of faith? Are you being obedient to all the known will of God for your life? Oh, my, 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 my. Are you being obedient to all? I didn't say some, all of the known will of God for your life, right? Now, we'll see in Abraham's immediate obedience in this next session of verses uh, that when God revealed to Abraham the need for circumcision, he obeyed. Now, there's a good lesson for us in how to be the spiritual head of the household in these verses. Now, as men, God has called us to be the spiritual head of our household. And we set the tone of the lives of faith for everyone else in our homes. Now, sometimes in single-parent homes, sometimes the wife has to be the spiritual head. Uh, but when there is a man in the relationship, I believe that God has called the man to be the spiritual head of the household. Now, so whoever that is, we set the tone of the lives of faith for everyone else. So when we are obedient to God's will for our lives, it allows God's blessings to be bestowed on our entire family. And when we fail, I believe that God not only withholds his blessings from us, but he will also withhold it from the rest of our family. God tells us in our scripture that Abraham explicitly carried out the command of God to circumcise all of the males in his home in three steps. And the first was complete parental obedience. Verse 23 says, And Abraham took Ishmael his son, and all that were born in his house, and all that were bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and circumcised the flesh of their foreskin in the selfsame day, as God had said unto him. So notice that the first thing that Abraham did was to assure that his son Ishmael was in obedience to the command of God. God tells us, and Abraham took Ishmael, his son. Now, how many of us as parents demand that our children are in obedience to the commands of God? How often do we place our children's obedience to God above all of the things of this world? Do we demand that they are in church each week? That they know how to pray to God? That they honor and respect those that have been placed in authority over them? And most of all, that they recognize the need of a personal relationship with God. I firmly believe that God will hold each of us as parents responsible and as the spiritual head of our household if we fail in these things. Now, our kids will ultimately make their own choice to obey God. No matter what we do, it ultimately comes down to the kid to make that choice. Our job is to lead them in that direction, right? To show them by our own lives that this is a something that they need to have. 
And, and so they will ultimately choose to accept him or not as their savior. But we set the example and the tone of obedience in our house. So next, Abraham exercised complete positional obedience. And our verse says that Abraham took and circumcised all that were born in his house, all that were bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house. As a chieftain now, Abraham exercised authority over everyone that were under his protection and living under his household. So that same lesson applies to each of us in the area that we exercise control over, including our households, our businesses, our employees, and those who live under our roofs. Do we demand obedience of all of them to the moral and ethical rules laid out in God's Word? That's kind of hard to do in today's society, right? Now, do we allow relatives or friends that live in our homes to destroy the spiritual foundation of our homes by the things we allow them to bring into our houses? Somebody wants to come live in your house and they want to bring uh, something in that, that you feel is ethically incorrect. Do you let that happen? So do we run our businesses the way God would have us run them? And do we stand up for what we know to be the will of God as we conduct our lives? So Abraham demanded that all who were under his authority obey the will of God. Then Abraham exercised personal obedience. Verse 24 it says, And Abraham was 90 years old and nine when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. Now this tells us that Abraham himself was obedient in his own life. Abraham could have made all kinds of excuses. He said, man, I, I'm 99 years old or I'm 100 years old, whichever one he was at this time, right? Uh, and he could have said, do as I say, but not as I do. Yeah, yeah. Now, you would never, ever do something like that in your household, would you? Would you say, do as I say, not as I do? Yeah, yeah. I will tell you something with absolute certainty, that our children and our grandchildren learn more from what we do than from what we say. If you want your children and grandchildren to believe that God can have an impact on their life, then live every moment of your life showing the impact that God constantly makes on your life. Amen? Now, don't think that you can park God outside the church every Sunday to wait on you to come back next week. And then expect your children to take God seriously. Your witness before them matters, especially in your home. And I believe the role of a special head of our homes is a similar role to that of our pastors. Now, we expect our pastors, as the spiritual leader of our church, to be what? Perfect at all times, right? Perfect at all times. A shining example of a Christian leader. And you know what? We're disappointed when we think that he might have failed in some of the smallest things, right? Yet when it comes to our own role as a spiritual leader, we fail to see the significance of our daily failures to demand the obedience of God in our family, in our homes, and in our businesses, in our own lives. I will be the first to tell you, though, and I'm being honest, that I am not perfect in this. I'm kind of stepping on people's toes, but I got three fingers pointing back at me, right? And I will also tell you 
that I have seen the immediate results of my failures in the lives of my own family. Our life of faith matters to those around us, and don't you ever neglect it. You say, well, I'm too old, Keith. I don't have children in my house anymore. You just think that your children aren't looking at you still, right? You just think that. So let's move on to the next topic. That's the lap of faith and the life of faith. And let's get into the prayer of an intercessor. Now, this next chapter tells Abraham's reaction to the Lord's proclamation of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And it really, it raises an interesting question. How does a mature, obedient Christian react to the truth that a holocaust of judgment is about to happen to a world full of sinful men? Now, we've got examples of this in the Bible. You know, you remember the story of Jonah? Oh, Jonah, man, he was happy as could be uh, when he heard about what was going to happen to the Ninevites, right? Now, have you ever felt that way? Have you ever said, boy, it's about time God did something about so-and-so, and and God, why don't you give me the the, uh, bolt of lightning that I can strike uh, somebody down with, man? Let me tell you, if if you'll do it, uh, please do it, but if not, give me the power to strike that guy down, right? Have you ever felt like that? Yeah, no, no, no. Now, on the other hand, Jesus was moved to tears when he looked ahead and saw the destruction of Jerusalem getting ready to take place. So how would you react? Do you know today of any such upcoming judgments? Of course we do. God has promised a day of tribulation, and when judgment comes to this earth in such proportions that if he did not come uh, and stop it, all of mankind would be destroyed. We live in a day of grace. What are we doing to be concerned about those that we know are lost? Are we delighted in as Jonah was? Or are we moved to compassion as Jesus was? That all of this is getting ready to happen. The first question you've got to answer is, do you really believe it's going to happen? And if you really believe it's going to happen, how do you feel about the people that are going to have to live through it? I'm not going to be here. I'm going to be gone but I'd like to have everybody else with me. So Genesis 18, 1 through 3 says, And the Lord appeared unto them in the plains of Mamre, and he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day, and he lift up his eyes and looked, and lo, three men stood by him. And when he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door and bowed himself toward the ground and said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in thy sight, pass not away, I pray thee from thy servant. Now, it was high noon when the Lord and two angels appeared before Abraham. And one of the angels was the Lord. I believe that. And I think it's going to say that here too. And, and this is interesting because Abraham immediately recognizes the Lord and bows down before him. Abraham then welcomes them and he prepares them a meal for them. And so I'm going to skip over those verses and I'm going to skip right on down to verse 9. And I'm going to read 9 through 12. And they said unto him, Where is Sarah thy wife? And he said, Behold, in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life, and lo, Sarah thy wife shall have a son. And Sarah heard it in the tent door, which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old and well stricken in age, and it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. 
Therefore she laughed within herself, saying, After I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? So notice Sarah's reaction. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? Now obviously, the first part of that is the impossibility that I covered in the first part of the lesson here, the impossibility of things that, uh, that this could happen, right? But as I studied this, and after our conversation at the end of class last week, and I, I, I wanted to try and determine if there was a difference between the laugh of Abraham and Sarah. Now earlier we discussed the laugh of faith that Abraham expressed at hearing the same news that Sarah had just heard. So what type of laugh do you think Sarah's was? Was it a humorous laugh? Was she finding that to be really funny? Was it a laugh of disbelief? Was it a hideous laugh? Or was it a laugh of faith? Now the only two clues that I have are the reactions of the Lord and Sarah. So the Lord's reaction to Sarah's laugh makes me believe that instead of a, a laugh of faith, it was a laugh of disbelief. Verses 13 through 15 said, And the Lord said unto Abraham, Wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I of a surety bear a child which I am old? Is there anything too hard for the Lord? At the time appointed, I will return unto thee, and according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. And then what Sarah do? She denied, saying, I laugh not. For she was afraid, and he said, Nay, but thou didst laugh. Thou didst laugh. Now, notice how the Lord responds to Sarah. He says, Is anything too hard for the Lord? Now, I believe that the Lord was actually taking Sarah to task for her disbelief. For all things are possible with the Lord. Now, then notice what Sarah does in response. Then Sarah denied, saying, I laugh not, for she was afraid. So Sarah's reaction was immediate and impulsive when she lied to the Lord and denied having laughed. Then the Lord's reaction was just as immediate. He replied, Nay, but thou didst laugh. Now certainly the Lord had the benefit of insight into Sarah's heart. The Lord knew what she was thinking and what she had done. It's no different for us. Do you realize how futile it is to try and keep sin a secret from God? Oh, as if God doesn't see it. The Lord knows everything about us even before we know it. Now we can fool the world and we can even fool our family. But we cannot hide our sin from someone who knows our innermost thoughts and feelings. So when we think about an intercessory prayer, we have to think about who it is that can pray such a prayer. I mean, they must be a truly important people or person in the eyes of the Lord, right? So I have to ask the question, who are the most important people on the earth? And think about that as I read this verse. 16 through 21. And the men rose up from thence and looked toward Sodom, and Abraham went with them to bring them 
on the way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. And the Lord said, Because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grievous, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it, which is come unto me. And if not, I will know. So let me ask you a question again. Who are the most important people on the earth? You know, I heard a story of two men talking about how to know whether or not you are important or not. How do you know whether or not you're important? Okay? One said, well, you're important if you are invited to the White House conference with the president in the Oval Office. Man, you are important if you get asked to uh, come there, right? And another one said, well, that's important. But real importance is if you're in the Oval Office and that emergency telephone rings and the president doesn't answer it because he's so busy talking to you, then you're important right? Then you're important. And the other one said, well, no, that's not real important. I'll tell you what importance is. When you're in the Oval Office, you're talking to the president, that emergency phone rings, he picks it up, and he says, it's for you. <laughs> now that is important. That is important. Well, now I want to tell you that there are some people even more important than that man. All right? And many of them are unrecognized, unnoticed, unappreciated, and unpraised. They are Christians. Now, not just mere Christians. They are Christians who have learned the ministry of intercession. And I say it after having thought about this a lot this week. The most important people on the earth are those who know how to pray intercessory prayer. Not just any kind of prayer, but intercessory prayer. Now, in Abraham's day, there was a problem of sodomy. There was a problem of Sodom and Gomorrah. And the way the people were living was a stench in the nostrils of Almighty God. And God's holy wrath burned against the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. And God was ready to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, but there was a man named Abraham who stood in the breach. And he began to pray. And he began to intercede. And if you continue to read on down through chapter 18 of the book of Genesis, you will see that it says, Abraham stood yet before the Lord. And he held back the hand of God's judgment until Lot and his family were delivered from Sodom. You say, well, what does that have to do with us? I mean, that's a nice story, Keith, and Abraham did a good job praying the intercessory prayer. Well, what does that have to do with us? I'll tell you what it has to do with us. We're living in the days of Sodom all over again. Luke chapter 17, verse 26 through 30 says, And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, and they were given in marriage until the day that Noah 
entered into the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, also, as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. So notice the words of Jesus as he tells us, and as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. That is, when, as it was in Noah's time, it's going to be the same way when Jesus comes again. And God tells Abraham that he was going to destroy them. But Abraham said, oh God, no. Please God, give them some time. Give them some space. And God did. And Abraham was an intercessor in his prayer. Now, let me ask you. Is it possible for God to be amazed? Think about that. Is it possible for an omnipotent God, an omniscient God, to be amazed? And I want to tell you that I believe in a manner, yes, he can be. I believe that God, it is possible for God to be amazed. Do you know what amazes God? Do you know what the sin is that amazes God? Let me give it to you in Isaiah 59, 16. You think I'm going to answer this question without Scripture? I don't think so. Yeah. All right. So Isaiah 59, 16 says, And he saw that there was no man, and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore his arm brought salvation unto him, and his righteousness, and it sustained him. God wondered. God was amazed, right? God asked, why don't they pray? So God is amazed. God wonders that there is no intercessor for them. And, and do you know what's wrong with us? You know, we think we can do it without intercession. You know, we've tried to substitute intellect for intercession and organizing for agonizing. But unless we have some intercessors, this generation is gone. As it was in the days of Lot, so shall it be in the day of the Son of Man. Now, Abraham was interested in his loved ones. He was interested in his family. He was interested in Lot, Lot's wife, Lot's children, Lot's son-in-laws. He was interested in them. And so let me ask you, are you interested in your children? Are you interested like I am in your grandchildren? Do you want us to have a chance to get to a golden harvest before judgment comes? And it actually does come. It actually is going to come, right? Well, if you are, then you've got to learn how to intercede for your family, your children, and your grandchildren. Now, having said that, let me give you five things about intercession. And you know what? i got two minutes before the end of time, and this is probably a pretty good place to break. I'm just going to stop right here. And next week, I'm going to give you those five things about intercession. It's going to be right here in, in these verses, okay?